today's podcast, we have a discussion on Lamar and the decision the Baltimore Ravens are facing. That deadline is today. So by the time you hear this, the tag may be applied, but which tag and what does it mean? And can we allow it to permeate into our thoughts about Lamar in a bigger discussion? John Anik on John Jones' return to the ring. It was quick in the cage submission. Did we learn anything? We'll talk more about Jones and some other stuff. And I have a life advice that was sort of life advice, then turned into a massive discussion about HOAs. So I don't know who that was for. It's Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action right now. You can check out the new and improved quick bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. The Lamar Jackson deadline is today, 3.30 Eastern for the Ravens to make a decision on which of the two tags they want to use. Now, by the time you may hear this, that decision could be made. If you're on it early, the decision may not be made. I don't know if it's going to go right to 3.30 Eastern. Uh, I thought it was interesting that a team source said recently, he's like, you know, we've been working on this for 25 months. So, you know, we're not going to wake up on Tuesday and go, oh, wait, that's today. So let's go over the two different tags that we have and discuss Lamar and a bigger picture thing here. Cause I just think this whole stuff gets really interesting. Um, there's an exclusive tag where the Ravens just have his rights and he's 45 million for next year. Simple, right? Uh, there's the non-exclusive tag where that comes in at a lot cheaper at 32.4 million, but that also means that Lamar can talk to other teams and he can sign an offer sheet. Now he could sign the offer sheet and the Ravens could just match it and save some money which maybe some would argue that's the way to go. I would argue that maybe you just give them the $45 because you've gone through all this kind of stuff um, just to make everybody feel a little bit better about it. But then again, depending on how your cap space plays out, maybe that seems like it's pointless because you could have had them control and match the offer sheet and keep them at 32.4. Like basically, as I'm saying this all, it's just trying to understand, okay, well, they did this because of this or they did this because of that. Now, if he signs an offer sheet with another team and the Ravens go, you know what? I think we're good. I don't think we're even close on the guaranteed money and what you want for a long-term deal, which would be, you know, a big deal. But a lot of times it's like, if you're any good as a quarterback, you just get paid more than everybody else because you're up later than the other guys. That's kind of the history of how that position has been paid. It's not always just based on who you are. And when you look at some of the other quarterbacks that have been paid, uh, whether it's Kyler, although Russell Wilson, you know, people can laugh at the contract now, but I think at the time you kind of understood it, even though it was done ahead of time. Some of these Daniel Jones numbers sound absurd, where I think some of those numbers you go, you know what, maybe we just don't do this. Um, <laughs> but you're always afraid of, okay, you cannot do it, but then what's your backup plan? So if the Ravens were to say, hey, okay, you know what, we're actually not going to match that offer sheet. They get two first-round picks. I think who signs him also factors into trying to figure out what those first-rounders would be. All right, so they have a bunch of different options. Ozzie Newsom said 
yesterday on the Bernie Kozar show. Shout out to Bernie Kozar, by the way. Um, quote, we're trying to get a deal done. And then paraphrasing here again, quote, if not, we'll put the franchise tag on. OK, but again, it is which one. So the Lamar debate has been uh, a big topic for for him going all the way back to the draft. You know, Bill Polian said some shit nobody likes. Booger McFarlane admitted he was wrong about him as a quarterback. He goes and wins an MVP. And he is, I think, just outside of that top tier of guys, which is not a huge insult. You know, whenever we're talking about like all-time great basketball players, you're like, oh, I have this guy six. I have this guy seven. Somebody's like, I can't believe that. The disrespect never ends. You're like, you know, I'm saying he's better than everyone that's ever played except for like six people. So I don't think that's the most disrespectful thing you can say is about somebody. And I know when Sandoz quarterback tears came out at the beginning of the year, that gets turned into this like content fucking <laughs> waterworks where it's like, all right, you know, I can't believe this guy said, what, what, you can't believe somebody said that he's the sixth best, seventh best quarterback in the NFL? Because that's really what we're talking about. But I do think that there's always the part that's fascinating is when it comes to quarterbacks in general, the decisions teams make about a player they have in a building, they have going through all the reps for multiple years, and then them making decision to move on from that quarterback. And then that makes me wonder, wait, does this end the debate? Like if a bunch of people liked a quarterback a lot or a bunch of people had him ranked here or didn't have him ranked as high, when a team and the coaching staff who's had the quarterback around for multiple years, if they're okay moving on from that player, should that end the debate about the player? Now, to repeat once again, uh, Lamar is better than some of these quarterbacks that I'm going to go back and look at historically, so that's not really the case. And you're always a little afraid of digging into anything that feels like you're being critical of Lauren Jackson just because the way, I don't know, content seems to work lately. You know, it's like seeing or being one of those guys who's like, you know, the WNBA doesn't make a ton of money. And then your friends are like, no, you're one of those guys. It's like, what guys? Like a guy that points out something. Yeah, I wouldn't tweet that, dude. So, yeah, the Lamar debate uh, ends up becoming a bunch of different things when I'm just really interested in where his contract's going to land and what decision Baltimore ends up making with him if they'd actually let him move on. Let's look back historically again at some of the guys that moved on. Like, I think a lot of us looked at Jared Goff and you're like, is he really that good? And then you hear the stories about how McVay was basically telling him what the coverage is and where the throw was supposed to go <laughs> before every single snap. Now, they went and paid him a ton of money. And I thought the Rams were kind of weird in the way they publicly uh, justified it. They were saying, well, you know, he really handled himself well after that loss to the Patriots. All right, well, it's a chance they got to move on from him. They did. They won a Super Bowl. That's a win for McVay. All right, so Goff has been better now. But I think a lot of those Goff years with Los Angeles where it's like, what is, how good is this guy actually going to be? And then they decide to move on from him. I think that's a very telling thing. The same thing with Jimmy Garoppolo. The record is really good. I thought he was kind of overrated in the beginning because when I'd look at him get the win as a starting quarterback and then watch how the game played out, I was like, I really don't know that I had that much to do with him. And then when Shanahan moves three picks to take a quarterback and even play basically his senior year because of everything that happened with COVID, like, I think that's a tell. I mean, how many different times did he try to move on from Garoppolo? Although I'm arguing with a buddy right now about Shanahan. He thinks he's the worst coach of all time because of the NFC title game. And I'm like, I don't know. He had a fullback warming up on the sideline. So I'm not sure that's the best example to say that Shanahan isn't that good. But there's a lot of people out there that think Shanahan's actually like this completely fraudulent coach. I think the decision to move on from Garoppolo, we don't have the result yet like the Rams do, but I think it's really telling. Uh, I love this one because Kirk Cousins was with Washington. Jay Gruden was there. Cousins is a starter. They went nine and seven, eight and seven, seven and nine. 
The first year they got rid of him, they went 7-9 again. Uh, again, it's not always one loss on quarterbacks, but it was very clear the front office and Gruden were like, he's all right, but we don't want to pay him this kind of money. Ended up being an absolute historic windfall for Cousins because he got tagged, got tagged again, I believe, and then got all that guaranteed money from Minnesota and their cap thing was so messed up, they had to keep giving him more guaranteed money on top of everything else. But we've spent a lot of time talking about Kirk Cousins and I feel like that's part of the history and should always be part of the discussion. The team that didn't even have the option was like, nah, we just don't really want to pay you. I think it's one of the few things that Washington's done as a football team where I was like, I kind of respect that. This one always bums out Saruti when I bring it up. It happened to Alex Smith twice. I was always kind of like a shrug to Alex Smith guy. You know, that year they won 13 games in San Francisco. Akers kicked 52 field goals and they were in the bottom third of teams on third down conversions. There's a, some other conversion numbers there for Smith that are even worse. I think Jim Harbaugh in that moment was like, I need more juice at the position. I got to figure something else out here. And he went with Kaepernick. Uh, it happened to Smith again with Andy Reid. Granted, it was for Mahomes. Smith got to play that year. He was good. He was better in that year. And they'd always put up that Monday night graphic of like all the win losses, and it'd be like Brady, Manning, and then Alex Smith. Um, but it happened to Smith twice, and I think both cases you understood why. There's some other ones that aren't as good. You know, Winston moving, Arians moving on from Winston to Tom Brady. I think a lot of people would have done that. Ironically, when you stay on Brady and making the decision to quarterback, Belichick comes up historically as one of the worst decisions you could make because he wanted to get ahead of it and move ahead off of Brady and had no backup plan whatsoever. That's been covered. There's total flameouts that just weren't good enough, whether it's a first-round bust like a Sam Darnold or Bortles who's around, looks like he's going to be okay, doesn't work out, Baker, the same type of stuff. Lamar is much better than all of these guys. All right, I, I think I've said it three times just to make sure everybody is on the same page here. But whenever a decision has to be made about a quarterback financially, there are average to above-average QBs that just get paid. They just get their money. And so there's a few things at work here. Is it the injuries and projecting how healthy he would be moving forward? And that's the hesitation with paying him, which could be the reason, and it would be a viable one. It could be the money that Lamar is like, nope, I want the Deshaun money. And the Deshaun thing is unfortunate in that somebody who was in trouble was then rewarded but that's the way it worked. He fell into a very, very specific slot that is almost unheard of, and certainly with the money, historically unheard of. Cleveland didn't want to lose him to Atlanta. They guaranteed the whole $250 million, and that's the way it works. So unless you want to get in a lot of trouble and then become a free agent, which I don't know if that's necessarily worth it, but it was financially for Watson. Um, the Kyler money is absurd. The guarantee's there. At least with Wilson, he had a resume. Kyler... I, good luck with that contract. And so if you're Lamar, you're at least, you at least have to be thinking, well, if he got that and I have an MVP and I'm just a better player, then I should be able to get $189 million guaranteed on this new deal. So it could be the money or, or could we possibly allow ourselves this? And I know this will probably be shot down. Again, if you like Lamar, you're never going to allow this to even creep into the debate about him. Is it anything that Baltimore's telling us where it's like, yeah, we really like him. We think he's really good. But we don't think he's one of those guys. And we aren't going to do business that way. We're going to find out this week. 
It's almost tournament time, and there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. That's because right now, FanDuel is giving new customers a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just go to FanDuel.com forward slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N, and sign up today to claim your no-sweat first bet. Then you can wager on everything from the money line to point spreads to which team will be cutting down the net. All right, if we take a quick peek at the FanDuel Sportsbook odds on the title winners. It's pretty crazy, but Houston, your Houston Cougars, plus 600. Uh, Kansas is around plus 800. This is probably all going to change a little bit here. Alabama, third, and then UCLA at plus 1,000. The plus 1,000 group is kind of deep there. There's about another four teams then outside of that. I don't see Duke UNC anywhere. I know. I, I'm not that removed from college basketball. Uh I guess that was a little bit of an ACC joke. ACC humor maybe doesn't play that well anymore. Anyway, the point is uh, you can find all of that on the sportsbook from FanDuel. So don't miss your shot and a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com forward slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N, to sign up. Make every moment more with FanDuel. Must be 21 or older in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com forward slash sportsbook. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com forward slash RG. Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org forward slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT-INDIANA. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP. Louisiana. one 877 Hope New York or text Hope New York to 467-369 New York. Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789. Tennessee, 1-800-522-4700 Wyoming or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. This episode of the Ryan Rosilla podcast is brought to you by McDonald's. McDonald's French fries changed my life. They taught me to want. They taught me the taste of anticipation. There's no wrong way to eat a French fry from McDonald's unless you're eating my French fries. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. He is the voice of the UFC. Uh, I've known him 20 years. John Anik. What's up, buddy? We are very old now, but you can't call me a voice, right? Every time I hear your voice, that's the voice. But uh, it's great to be with you. 20 years, yes. We are, uh, we're, we're like fossils now. I got a, like a white beard. It's been a long time, my brother. You look like you're a little thicker. I noticed that on the call. I mean, it's tough for you to look thick next to Rogan in D.C., but uh, it looks like you put seven pounds, maybe, sinewy. Yeah, I mean, I fluctuate a lot, right? Like, I definitely can't button my tight suit pants if I'm over 155 pounds. I'm probably 158 as I talk to you today. But, yeah, I'm doing more strength and conditioning and less running. But my eyes are pretty swollen today. It's been a lot of international travel for the first quarter of the year. And, uh... That Friday, I got to tell you, before UFC 285, with all of that movie stuff and everything else, that was the single busiest day of my professional life. So I think you're seeing that a little bit in my swollen face. But uh, it's great to be with you nonetheless, despite not my as, aesthetic. Not as swollen as Connor's face, who we'll get to a little bit later. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the joke would be, is he going for Jones? That Was he trying to move up to heavyweight? Uh, he, he looked thick. Anyway. <laughs> all right. Let's start with John Jones. You were the first person ever 
to mention his name to me, uh, you were like, hey, this guy is insane how good he is. And I was like, all right, whatever, we'll check it out. And here we are a decade plus later, later and uh, he wins the heavyweight title, beats Gone, uh, submits him very early. Tough night for Gone, kicks Jones in the nuts right off of the break. Uh, uh, and, then, right. and then is choked out so fast he doesn't even really quite realize what happened. So there's a lot of different Jones stuff that I would, would ask about, but I just want to start simply with the fight. Like, what what did we, did we learn anything from this with Jones going up to heavyweight and taking out Gon where he didn't really have to fight a heavyweight? Well, right, because there's a lot of Jones stuff, but on the Gon side, like, hey, man, like, what have we been doing since the Francis Ngannou fight? It's been 14 months. So, but yes, for John Jones to come back this spectacularly just speaks to his brilliance because George St. Pierre is the other guy that we hold in this high regard. And George St. Pierre hated fight night. John Jones loves fight night. But you might have heard me say on the broadcast, there seemed to be a little more tension in John than normal. Finally, he let the smile go. But normally, Ryan, the minute he hits that tunnel, he's happy to be there. And I didn't necessarily get that vibe from him. Then they're cutting the tape off of his toes and then the groin shot seven seconds in. But to speak to his fight genius, right? He said to me on the post-fight show, that groin shot seven seconds in, it didn't hurt that bad, just didn't want that strike to go unnoticed, right? A microcosm for the entire fight genius that is John Jones. And say what you want about his overall commitment to training, right? Even in this training camp, I think he probably could have been a little bit better. I think he'll be better for the Stipe Miocic training camp, but there's no denying the strategist, right? The appetite for mixed martial arts, not just greatness, but knowledge, right? And the ability to be coachable and stick to a game plan. So for all of his warts, very coachable professional athlete, especially for a guy on his level. I'm very happy for him. I like to say to people, like, I was an idiot when I was 28, right? 35, little less so. And I do think him at 35 years old, there is sort of a wisdom and a maturity there. Perhaps I'm leaning into it a little bit too much, but there are things there mentally, emotionally with him that were not there before. So I'm very happy for him. Yeah, maybe. And I think maybe that was part of it. It was an excellent point you made on the broadcast because you're watching him come out of the tunnel and normally it's like the loosest dude you've ever seen. Like, can't wait. Like, I can't fight people legally and I get to tonight. (laughs) I just love to fight that much. And when you have that in you, uh, it's a big advantage over most people that don't want to do that. So when he, I don't know if he was tense. You know, I think it was great that you pointed it out. I didn't really come to any kind of conclusion, but you were right to point out that it was a little bit different. And then when he started feeling himself a little bit better, he started dancing, he started smiling, he started biting. And I was kind of, you know, and like Grant Williams with the second free throw the other night. I looked at his face and going, he is giving us the picture of confidence. And inside there, there's tremendous doubt. Like that's what I, I saw a face that was lying to himself. And with Jones... <laughs> I'm not comparing Grant Williams to John Jones, but it was, it was, wait, is he kind of talking himself into being excited or whatever? Because, you know, you've been around fighting even far more than, you know, more professionally than I could ever imagine. But I think we both understand in that there is some sort of switch that, that goes off when it's over for you. And that fighter always thinks he still has more rounds in him. And we can see it before they can see it. It's it's one of the rare cases with athletics where it's like, no, we're, you're actually done. Um, you can keep lying to yourself. He comes in and puts on all this weight. You know, his frame is not really probably built to look great at 240 like some of the other heavyweights are. Right. You know, some guys can be 250, 260 and still look amazing. And maybe we're just too in tune to looking at him at, at light heavyweight with so much less weight on him. Um, but then, then he gets the choke and I'm like, should... Like, I never want to root against him. You know, I don't want to root against him because I want to see him have this kind of Brady type resume. So, yeah, I'm, 
I, if you fight Stipe, I'm going, I don't know. I learned nothing. I learned nothing about the actual fight at this weight. Yeah, I didn't think he looked as fast as a light heavyweight in the short sample size we had on the feet, right? But when you're handicapping this fight, there were far more known quantities on the Cyril Gon fight, right? Not just that maybe we didn't think he could wrestle or grapple, but he had competed and realized success in the weight class. And I think for John Jones, as great as he is, and as much confidence as he had in his preparation, he had never competed at heavyweight, right? Made his pro debut in like Boxborough, Massachusetts in like 2008 or whatever it was. He had never competed at heavyweight. Daniel Cormier had competed at heavyweight, then went to 205, then went back. So I think that might have been some of John Jones's trepidation. How are these elite heavyweights really going to feel? Because with respect to his training partners, you know, those are UFC castoffs. They're not elite level UFC heavyweights anymore. So I think for John Jones, he answered some questions to himself to be sure, right? Didn't have a submission win dating to 2012. I mean, that's got to feel really good. But yeah, I think you're right. There are definitely unknowns. And that's why when I see John Jones right now, at minus 325 and the comeback on Stipe Miocic at plus 270, I see value on Stipe at plus 270, even though he's 40 years of age, because I still see some unknowns when it comes to John Jones. But I do believe he will be leaner when when we see him uh, in July or whenever that fight comes to fruition. Yeah, the other thing I liked about Jones in the post-fight interview with Rogan was he was very revealing a couple times. And, you know, I know there's probably plenty of people listening to this, like, fuck him forever. And I don't, I, I, all right, yeah, like, I get it. I totally get it. Like, the yeah. thing I said with Bill on Sunday was I've made a deal with myself where when it comes to fighters, like, I'm going to root for the fighter that entertains me, and I'm not going to get a summer place with them, you know? But there you I'm go. Not, there you I'm go. not, there I'm not go. renting an apartment to any of these dudes, right? So that's, that's the deal I make with myself. So after the fight, when he had said, you know, there was a couple times early on my feet where I was like, whoa, you know? And then he's like, I felt like, maybe I'm getting that backwards. You'll know. You always remember the stuff where he, he admitted that there was something that just felt off, whether it was his hands or his feet. Was it his hands or did he say it was his feet at first? And then he, he once. I think just overall, there was some sort of acknowledgement that he didn't feel optimal. I, I mean, hands or feet, I don't know exactly. Right. Okay. So he said one of the two. So I apologize for not having that. I should have written that down. Um, a lot of fight, fighters, you know, you're so, you have to exude confidence all the time. You can never admit any of that kind of stuff and whatever. And then, you know, when you look at Jones when he's tweeting leading up to it, it's like, wow, he's really confident. It's like, well, what was he going to do? Tweet, I'm doubting myself and maybe this is too soon and maybe I should have taken lesser competition. So whatever, he chokes him out, it's over, it's immediate. I don't know that we learned a ton, but there's another element of it where there is just awe. And I know, you know, you're close with Daniel, but I think that's kind of come around after just pure hatred there for a long time and understandably so on Cormier's side. But then Joe Rogan in the octagon, who I think is just so respectful of anybody that steps in there, you can just see that from him. And then you on the call and this lead up and everything. And people talk about how he, Jones had actually said yes to so many things. Is it odd just because of his talent? Is it because of his story? Or is there something that you've allowed yourselves and you guys that are in this day to day where you actually still find yourself liking him despite plenty of evidence that would tell you you wouldn't normally like a person like this. Yeah, I think there's a lot of what you said to the latter, and you can only judge someone largely, I think, and people will take issue with this, but largely I judge people based upon the way they treat me, right? Like even Ryan Rosillo, you wouldn't believe this. He can be a dick, you know? He actually really didn't like me at first necessarily, right? But I used to get- Not at all. 
criticized for defending Floyd Mayweather. And it's like, hey, man, like he gives me time when there are literally 10 people listening to the Mouthpiece Boxing Show and he bought me a hat and a T-shirt. He's been gracious every step of the way. So, yes, I will go on the air and defend Floyd Mayweather. I don't think Daniel Cormier has come around. And I do think it's a very tough navigation. For I guess Daniel Jones still. tried to, right? Jones yes. tried to come around and Daniel but didn't want. You okay. don't know however genuine that is, right? Is Daniel just supposed to take that as supreme, you know, generosity and him being ultimately genuine? I don't know. You know, and candidly, my relationship with DC is probably far more complicated, right, than John Jones is because of how much time we spend together, you know? But yes, it is in awe of the greatness. And you know, certain professional athletes walk into the room. Like, I'm not starstruck around John Jones per se, but I'm starstruck around John Jones. And it's the total package. Like, have you heard him talk, right? When he starts to literally undress Seattle Ghan at the goddamn po pre-fight press conference and outline his weaknesses to the world with that bass in his voice. Like, there's just something undeniably special about this guy. And yeah, I mean, I put him on a pedestal, certainly athletically. And the fact that he's basically beaten the greatest strength of schedule in UFC history without anything resembling an optimum training camp, you know, partying and doing everything else is just insane. Uh, he is, you know, Kenny Florian on our podcast this week called him a fight genius. And, um, you know, I think it's appropriate. I might push back on the Floyd Mayweather thing because he bought you a hat. Just <laughs> Well, no, I mean, there's a lot of guys right in again. I do sometimes like I sound ignorant, right? Like I. I had to promote Greg Hardy. I'm a promoter. I'm not a journalist. I had to promote Greg Hardy. Okay. You know, I'm not going to run out his legal situation every time he walks to the octagon, you know? Yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay. Uh, speaking of from the promotion side, was there a conscious effort to never mention Ngannou? No, I think I must have. I, mu I certainly mentioned Francis on the post show. Did I not mention him at all on broadcast? No, that was not. I don't know. I, can, I don't know if you did, but it wasn't like that might've been the spot where Rogan could have brought it up but that wasn't going to happen there. So there have been times where I would get a message from UFC like, hey, don't mention this like energy drink because Monster's a sponsor, right? But I yeah. have never been told anything like that to not mention a name. Michael Chandler fights. I call him a former three-time Bellator champion and people are like, oh my God, Anik said Bellator. It's like, Dana's never told me to not say Bellator. Not one isn't time it in funny, 12 Isn't years. it funny how much people think that we're told, like it's the same thing at ESPN. Like, oh, they, they probably tell you to do this. You're like, no. I remember one of the biggest fights we ever had at ESPN is that somebody on the TV side made every radio show have one of these bass fishing guys on because they were promoting something. And every yeah. producer and every host was like, what the fuck? Yeah, It's annoying. And it was yeah. like seven minutes on yeah. the phone. Like, it ruined our <laughs> lives. <laughs> right. None of us wanted to do it at the time. But it just doesn't really happen in, uh, in your world. And again, we're both at ESPN. We can speak to that as well. Okay. So the Stipe part, I thought that was really interesting because it just is... What level of badass do you have to be to be Stipe Miocic to have John Jones calling you out and saying, hey, you guys want to see me beat up Stipe? Huh. And you're Stipe and you just fucking shrug. You're just like, whatever. <laughs> Unfazed. So I, what happens here? What, what's the plan, date, time, build up, thoughts? Give me the early anecdote on this. So Stipe's not going to control the calendar. John Jones is probably going to control the calendar. International Fight Week needs a main event and this is the biggest fight that we can put on. So my cautious optimism would tell you that you need to uh, 
make plans to be in Las Vegas for that July 8th weekend, because I do think that this is going to be the fight that headlines International Fight Week. But I do think it's a little bit ambitious for John Jones to think that he's been away for three years and now you're going to see him twice inside of four months. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that it's September or even December. But the hope, the expectation right now is, yes, it would be a few months. And Stipe has been building towards this. And real quick, Stipe fought Daniel Cormier in a leaner way. Stipe has acknowledged to being 253 pounds right now. I think you will see a bigger Stipe against John Jones. And as I said, whatever the number on the scale is, I don't know, but I think you will see a leaner, meaner John Jones. So a lot of interesting storylines already. And uh, we might not have that much time to promote that fight, which is pretty interesting. Is Jones a bigger draw than Connor? No. Not even close, right? No. I don't know what the pay-per-view number is was this past weekend. I'd imagine it will be very strong. I can't ever remember Jones resonating in Vegas like that before. It's never happened before like that, but no, uh, there's Conor McGregor and there's everybody else. Speaking of, um, he was there with Gyllenhaal. What was that all about? What was going on there? Gyllenhaal was filming a scene and then everybody saw the videos pop out, but they had to film it with a real lot. Is that what was going on? They did it earlier for the live audience to have that backdrop kind of like like basketball movies, like the Sandler basketball movie. Like clearly they had him walk out during a real Sixers game and got the footage and then moved on and then they played yeah. the game. I think the upside is that over 100 million people have already ingested that weigh-in clip, right, of Jake Gyllenhaal slapping Jay Haran on stage, right? The downside is that there are spoilers now that have been repurposed to the world. I was put in a situation, candidly, where I was to react to a foul by Jake Gyllenhaal after a win that literally not only would have kicked Jake Gyllenhaal out of the UFC, but it probably would have given him a lifetime ban in mixed martial arts. So, you know, part of the issue with Warrior, as great a movie as that was back in the day, was that it sensationalized the mixed martial arts violence. So I'll have to admit to having a little bit of worry to sort of see that all play out in front of me and I'm sort of trying to act and be as theatrical as possible, but it's not about me. It's about Roadhouse and uh, I just wasn't cut out for Hollywood, Ryan. Uh, so are you going to be in, so this is this is a Roadhouse remake. Yeah. Where Gyllenhaal, he's a UFC fighter and then he gets kicked out of the UFC. Well, no, I don't know that he gets kicked out of the UFC, right? See, I'm ingesting this all in real time, right? I'm yeah. watching this expecting Gyllenhaal to maybe wrest the title away, but then the ref rips him off and he goes back in for more. So when I'm being coached beforehand, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. And they're saying to me, like, or, you know, would you stand up? I'll like, I'm, I said, I'll do whatever you want me to do. He's like, no, would you stand up? So, well, it depends what happens, you know? Yes, if there was a potentially career-ending foul, of course I would stand up, you know, uh, as would almost everybody else in the arena. So, uh, but yeah, it was sort of a, an interesting dynamic for, I think, a lot of people to deal with, especially on a live fight night. Like, we're filming stuff literally in the middle of a 14-fight card. So, uh, don't need to do that again, but I'll, I'll go watch the movie. Okay. All right. That's what I was getting to. So, it was in the middle of the card. Because yes. they needed the audience. And then Gyllenhaal goes out there and he looked, he looked good. Uh, I give Dana White credit for making the joke about what USADA not right. getting involved. Um, maybe it was one of those men's health clips where it's like, learn how Jake Gyllenhaal turned into Bane. <laughs> Overnight. Fucking, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some quinoa and some almonds. Be like, almonds, what a nice man. guy, though. Who, Gyllenhaal? What a nice guy. Yeah. Couldn't be nicer. I, I would put him as a one seed of Hollywood. It isn't it crazy. I again, I, I've talked about this before, but when you meet one of these absolute A-list dudes, 
they are so good at being famous. They're so good at being A-listers and then finding some way to make you feel like you had some sort of real connection when they're not going to remember you in 30 seconds. Right, right. It is a superpower. And the first time I think I ever really, like when Will Ferrell came in studio, it was pretty cool, but he was just so normal that it was like a little different. And then John Hader was there sort of fucking up the vibe the whole time. <laughs> and then um, and then I'll never forget Freddie Coleman just barged in. So like as soon as the commercial break starts up, you feel like you're going to get those two or three minutes to yourself. And I was too new in the game. And Freddie Coleman's like, I'm just going to alpha dog this and <laughs> barge right in and talk these guys up. And then the picture, I was like, can I get a picture? And then I was like, oh, all right, we're doing it this way. So um, respect to the goat, though, respect to the goat. I'm just saying like that was one of those early moments. You're like, OK, when we had uh, Hugh Jackman come by with Van Pelt and I, you would have thought the three of us would still be on a text chain 15 minutes or 15 right, years later, right. 15 in 15 minutes for another 15 years. And I think Hall has that in him. I think he has it in him. How much time did you spend with him? Three minutes, but just sort of talking about the sequence when I would ask him a question on the stage, right? Because sometimes I felt like I was getting mixed messages, right? In one breath, I'm being told to be theatrical and controversial. And in another breath, I'm trying to make this as real as possible. And, you know, it would just be like, hey, man, any final thoughts on the eve of the biggest fight of your life? It would not be me leaning into, wow, slap heard around the world. Was it your, were you, did you plan to strike it? You know, so it was a little bit of a pivot from the norm, but he was very sweet about it. And uh, yeah. So you think the directing, you think the directing on this film may be a little marginal? Well, I just, I, I don't know what exactly, I hope I executed their vision. Is that politically correct? I hope I executed their fucking vision. (laughs) I love how much I can tell that you were annoyed. I love, I love figuring this part of it out. Uh, Rogan said no. (laughs) Rogan just said, I'm not doing this. Yeah, correct. Who did they use? Did they use the tap out guys in Warrior? I believe they were in it. It's a long time ago, but I believe they were in it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love Warrior. I love that movie. If I were younger, I would have tried to be just like him. I mean, maybe not the bad parts at the beginning, but I would have been like, I want to be just like Tom Hardy. I would have wrote that in my junior high yearbook. I thought it was a great movie. My presence in it notwithstanding, Nick Nolte won an Oscar. There was a sequel, I believe, that was written, but it didn't necessarily resonate, resonate back then the way they thought it would. Oh, that's right. You're in it a ton. That's back when you were doing Sports Center stuff, but you were the MMA guy at ESPN. So they used you and you were on a Sports Center desk talking about this mysterious video of Tom Hardy who shows up and beats up the other guy, right? Exactly you were, right. You were kind of the fucking main you were the main beam in a log cabin holding that whole thing together and it's interesting yeah i was the connective tissue right five or six times during the movie i've been very lucky if you had hollywood aspirations then you would say i i I am fortunate to have had those two opportunities are those the only two you've been in i think so yeah I had to do the whole SAG thing this time around. You know, it's just, you know, you know, man, like perhaps I take my job too seriously. But the Friday nights, the Fridays, the night before a pay-per-view, those are the 12 hardest, biggest days of my year. So to have a movie injected into all of that uh, just heightened my anxiety. Because for me as a broadcaster, all my, my anxiety is in the preparation. It's not in the performance. It's in all of this, man. If you're watching, right? It's in all of this. Pink and cards. every week, despite all of the other distractions, I have 28 or 30 fighters that need my attention, even for a fight night on ESPN plus, you know what I mean? So there's no time for like dinners on Friday night, you know, no time. Uh, have you ever gone out on a Friday before a call? Yes. Hard. 
oh, uh, <laughs> I probably had the best show of my life because I was actually loose enough to have two or three drinks the night before. So yes, I would say a handful of times and they were probably my best shows, less tight. When you're doing the open, when you're welcoming, welcoming in the pay-per-view audience, uh, that's memorized, correct? No prompter? Yeah, but like I screwed it up this weekend, I don't have a teleprompter. So if I had a prompter, then it would be perfect. And I try to get the copy to be perfect. But this weekend, I didn't nail it per se, but good enough. My I didn't twin brother always mistake. lets me know when, uh, when Jason, I... Jason yeah. let you know that was a B plus. Yeah, B minus, but we got through. But yeah, that's the only thing. And then I do a few stand-ups that I have to memorize. But it's really like a radio gig in a lot of respects, you know? They've gotten away from the announcer cam a little bit, which is kind of nice. Because I just, you think I look heavy now. I mean, I just look fat as hell on that fucking camera. Um, but so basically, hey, I it's a radio talking, gig, man. Tell me about it, bro. Utah, you seen that footage? But go ahead. <laughs> it's a radio gig, though, in a lot of respects, right? Yeah. Like, you use your notes, you're not on camera. And I, I kind of enjoy that because that's my roots. Is Connor going to fight again? He said he was. Yeah, and this sounds a little trite when I trotted out there about John Jones and Connor McGregor, but the type of competitive itch that they are perpetually trying to scratch in their mind, they can't scratch it anywhere else, right? They try other things, you know, shooting guns or shooting movies, whatever it may be. But ultimately, the winning is everything mentality that exists in their head can only be you know, quenched by the octagon. So yes, if you said over under two and a half more fights for Conor McGregor, I think so much is going to depend on this Michael Chandler result in September or October. But I would say over. I think you're getting three more Conor McGregor fights. So he's already on. So I didn't even look ahead. I mean, this is what. Well, no, he's not on the on schedule. This is just totally informed speculation. But they've built a season of the Ultimate Fighter around Conor McGregor and Michael Chandler, and. That show is linear, right? It's on linear television because of Conor McGregor's presence on it. So Michael Chandler and Conor McGregor are going to fight, I would say, fourth quarter. And uh, we don't even know what weight class. So you're not behind the eight ball. Okay. Um, talk to me about your boy, Gaethje. So he's a pretty big underdog this weekend or next weekend, March 18th, fighting in the co-main event against Rafael Fazeev, who is an outstanding lightweight and striker. And with respect to Justin Gaethje, I do believe Rafael Fazeev in current form deserves the distinction as the favorite. Gaethje's been in so many big fights and experience in MMA is as important as anything. But, you know, sometimes there can come a time in a man's career where, uh, you get that young guy who is in his fighting prime and matchup wise, maybe it's the perfect fight. And uh, as such, Gaethje is the dog. But uh, I wouldn't put it past Justin Gaethje to win. But make no mistake about it. Rafael Fazeev is absolutely on the rise. He kicks like a mule. I mean, it's a bulletproof fight. It's a bulletproof fight. And, uh, you know, oftentimes our pay-per-views have championship doubleheaders. This one doesn't because that co-main event might as well be a goddamn title fight. Uh, can't let this guy. I have two other things I want to talk about. But the last UFC thing, uh, Alexa Gross's win against Shevchenko, uh, especially if you looked at the odds. Again, that was that was one of those deals where when she got the choke, where half of Shevchenko's face was white because of the pressure that was applied to it. Um, once the once the arm came off, because I wasn't sure she was under the chin. But then it was like, sometimes if you just have it that hard for that long, you're still pushing the face back and collapsing that windpipe. And then for her to talk specifically about countering that, that kick and knowing that that kick was coming at some point and the speed with which she got into that submission, 
you know, for somebody who was a big underdog, and I know on that side of it, and I'm not as locked into the women's side, I'm not locked into every single weight class, but that was that was a historic upset. Well, and if you want to talk about a fighter who put in all the work and all the right work after major wrestling and grappling challenges earlier in her career against Tatiana Suarez in 2018 and Carla Sparza in 2019, this is how you do it, right? You shore up your weaknesses over three or four years so that when you get the title fight, even if Alexa Grasso thought she got it maybe one fight too early, you're ready because you put in the time, you know? And there have been a lot of bullets being thrown in the direction of Seattle gone this week. And Maybe I'm doing that a little bit here, right? But I guess I was just disappointed in his lack of effort juxtaposed against all of the willingness and desire to improve that part of the game for Alexa Grasso, who was really just a boxer when she, she debuted in the UFC. I'm, I'm so happy for her uncle, Francisco, for all of her jiu-jitsu coaches, Alessandro Costa. It's a beautiful thing, man, when, when strategy and repetition, right, can produce a, a world title. And I've said repeatedly, for me in my job, the greatest thing is seeing somebody break through and become a UFC champion for the first time and to do it as a plus 600 underdog and take out a long reigning champion. One of the biggest single wins in UFC history. Maybe I don't put it on the level upset wise of Juliana Pena over Amanda Nunes because I did consider Alexa Grasso to be a live underdog, but I'm just really happy for her. She wasn't necessarily winning the fight, but uh, man, she wanted and uh, it's going to get us to Mexico City, I think probably fourth quarter. Okay, there you go. I'll give you some tips. I'll give you some tips. I stayed there for F1 last fall. Do Please not do. go to the Day of the Dead parade and walk back to your hotel on the wrong side of the parade route. That's <laughs> tip number one. Okay, give me a uh, give me an Annex Celtics. The Celtics are your number one, right? Celtics number one above everything else. Yeah, more right now. I mean, obviously that has changed. Oh, I mean, not in 1997, it was Nomar and everybody else. I'm stunned I don't have a Nomar Garcia Parra tattoo. But yes, it's about the Celtics right now and. Uh, Yes, do you regret absolutely. that, though? You don't regret that, do you? Well, I, I can't say I won't get a Nomar tattoo before it's all said and done, you know? No kidding. Really? He's I mean, a I'm neighbor. not going to get like his... Is he really? Don't see him ever. Hung out zero times. I yeah, expect that I mean, number to be unchanged. <laughs> I'm not going to get like his face on my neck necessarily, but man, I mean, he's immortalized. I mean, I have his picture around here. Some, I mean, I have a black and white photo of him right here off to my left. Did you, after the 04 title, argue they still would have run it with Nomar and not Remember when we had that guy call in and call him Doug Menkowitz? Huh. I'd probably argue that. I lost 98% of arguments against you on uh, on sports radio. So. Yeah, but there was one. And for those that are new to this in our dynamic is that uh, Pep, who was the third member of the radio show, um, he wanted to get you on this Friday night. I, just, I was supposed to tell you that. Uh, he... It was he and... It was Pep and I, and it was it was bad. It wasn't a very good show. And then I just walked in one day and Anik was sitting in the third seat and he was just on the show. It was never, no one ever asked me. So it wasn't like I was anti Anik. I was anti that I was not consulted that somebody was just a new co-host one day. And it actually worked. It was an impossible spot for Anik. Um, we were all super broke. So that led to a lot of anxiety for me. Although you might've been making more than me as an intern than I was as a host. So no, I wasn't. How I was much making you, how, how you $24,000 as the business manager was my title. Right. But I have to say, I was perceptive enough back then, humbly. I knew how good you were very early on. Right. I yeah. saw you work. I heard your voice. No, I'm serious, man. I knew. Right. And my twin brother knew. Right. I have a human being and, and it's the greatest blessing of my life that we have the same DNA. And we knew very early on how good you were. And, you know, I've been reaping the benefits ever since of rubbing shoulders with you. Seriously. So. 
But the you know? thing that's great is I was making 25. <laughs> <laughs> well, I knew not to piss you off. Like I knew you were the guy I had to get on my side. And I felt like it happened fairly quickly. You it know? happened really quickly. Cause then I was like, you know what? And it was, it was also, uh, my, I think we've done this before. So I don't, you know, maybe we should stop <laughs> doing it. But, um, you know, just seeing my dad recently and then knowing that he called me very early and was like, Hey, that guy's good. That guy's good. Like, don't be, I know you're miserable. I know you're broke. I know things aren't working out in every other aspect of your life, but like that, that guy's good and, and stick uh, around with him. And, uh, so, all right. So we've, I think we've already covered this too many times. So I think it's just as the audience grows, you like reminding people, or maybe we just like reminiscing because it's been such a long time, but you, one of the things, first things I remember about you at that time is you were like, yeah, I have Celtics season tickets. I was like, how the fuck does this guy have season tickets to the That's Celtics? Right. That's like, right. Like I'm, 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 I get my car repoed at work once while huh. I was on the air. So I was like, wait, this doesn't, I'm like, how does this fucking guy have season tickets? <laughs> and, um, I asked you, I was like, what do you do? And you were like, dude, I buy, I buy a 10 pack. And I'm like, wait, what do you do? And you go, I buy the 10 pack of the $10. <laughs> and I'm like, this guy's a fucking fan, man. He, he spends a hundred dollars. He technically does have season tickets. Granted, he's not going to 41 of these. He's right. sitting in that absolute the worst spot you can sit in because those $10, the Celtics are, excuse me, I believe every NBA arena still does it. There has to be a $10 ticket that gets you through the door. Like every arena has to have the $10 oh, wow. ticket. It doesn't mean the entire 300s are $10, of course. It just means there's a section there and it's the worst spot. I mean, that's the whole point. And Anna could be out there just fucking grinding. He'd be at the forest talking to somebody going, yeah, I'm on the air, but I'm also <laughs> the business manager. What's going on? And I have season tickets to the Celtics. What's up? Um, that, and yeah, then he dude. would go and I, and I remember just being so impressed because I was like he oh. really likes the Celtics like I like basketball but I wouldn't do that and that was you know I just I was like this guy's a real he's a real guy he's a real Boston guy and so where are you right now with this team after an amazing start the confidence feels like it's waning I listened to local talk radio for about 10 minutes the other day I, I don't know how anybody I can't believe I did that job or aspired to have it long term when I listen to what it is, no offense, mm. but it was sort of offensive. Uh, so I'll, I'll take whatever you want on that one. <laughs> but where, where are you? So I'm obviously coming off the busiest week that I can think of of my professional life. So I haven't ingested a lot of them other than the box scores over the last several weeks, but it hasn't been great to say the least. You know, it's interesting when you sit here in early March and the Bruins and Celtics, and perhaps this has changed over the last 48 hours, but the Bruins and Celtics are both favored to win the title. And for Bostonians and New Englanders, that is not at all where you want to be in March, the favorites to win the title. But I have to tell you right now, like to save a hamster's life, I still do believe when all is said and done that they are the best team. I'm sitting on a big ticket on the Milwaukee Bucks to win the Eastern Conference, trying to take them down that I placed, I think, back in September. So uh, we'll see what happens. But what's no, the payout still, on that? Or did you just give me the odds? Yeah, I didn't get a great number. I, well, it's better than when I think I got plus 450, right? But it's better now. It's obviously better than what you're getting now. So, uh, you know, but I think you get plus 250 now. But no, I still do believe I still, you know, obviously a lot of people are coming at the coach right now, but I still do believe in the team. I still do believe in the defense 36 and everybody else, you know, and uh, I don't know. I, I can see you that, being a big Joe. I think you and Joe Missoula would be buddies. Oh, if you, if I mean, give me other. the give me the Rhode Island kid, just the scrappy Rhode Islander every day of the week. But I did go from 2000, the, the 0102 season, we had the 10, 10 games and we went up to 20 games for the 0203 season. But 
Yeah, man. I mean, it was interesting then covering the team, right? And interviewing Doc Rivers at practice a few years after you're sitting in the bleeds, you know? Not as cool as Israel Adesanya from the nosebleeds to winning a world title, but, you know. Almost as cool. Um, because <laughs> as we know, as you said, studying and preparation, world titles, and also world-class broadcasts. There you go. Um, so we'll close on that. And by the way, we do a bad job with this. I do a bad job. I'm putting in for the July 8th floor seats now. Okay, because okay. that means I know I'll be around. It'll still be NBA free agency. There'll be perfect getaway. Uh, may even bring somebody. So that's that's my plan. We constantly talk about, I want to go to Dubai with you. I just want to go on the UFC plane. I want to make it, we'll make Let's it a podcast. It. Like for just me peering into that world. We'll make it a long form thing. We'll release it when I'm overseas. Uh, this is a pitch. This is a pitch. Get Dana involved. So I'll just, I'll be like a roadie with the crew and I'll make it my travel pod. And I just want to see what this Dubai thing is about. I have a watch that I think will fit in there. So I'm excited about that watch. Um, car wise. It. Yeah. All right. So we're just, you know, workshopping some ideas, but we need to make it happen. So Fight Island ceases to exist the way you are fantasizing it, right? Because COVID-19 is no longer, but Yaz Island is still there. The W Hotel, Yaz Island, Abu Dhabi is the most intoxicating hotel in the world. I can't even describe the feeling being in one of those suites. Try to. It is crazy what it does to your body. It, like you Tell think me what it does to your something, body. I don't even know, bro. You know, I don't even know. It's certainly, you know, I, I don't want to get, it just makes you feel like you're Superman. I mean, it, it, you know, they say they pump things into the casinos in Las Vegas, whatever they pump into that W hotel, Yaz Island, just give me, just inject it into my veins. You know, I mean, I don't what know you're saying like is you Adderall. don't, right. You don't want to talk about erections on this podcast and I'm telling you, I appreciate it. Yeah. It, right. I think that's exactly yeah, what I don't want to talk Dubai's about that only an hour away. Probably going to be back there in October. So, uh, hopefully you're a man of your word. See, you like the floor seats, right? Like Evan Longoria, God love him. He don't want floor seats, right? He wants to buy his own tickets so he can have the exact aisle seat on the exact sight line that he wants, right? Right on the octagon. Some people don't like the floor seats, but you do, and I get it. You know what? You're a uh, maybe celebrity. I maybe I changed my mind, though. Maybe I changed my mind, because that actually is true. Because when I went to Jones Gustafson, the second one, and my date hit Jones, uh, Roy Jones Jr., not John Jones, hit Roy Jones Jr. in the head with her handbag, and I was like, oh, this is going to, it was bad. She fucking clocked him right in the head. And Dude, he could have been nicer. Abu Dhabi? You coming to Abu Dhabi or what? I mean, don't tease me that you're going to build all this content around a trip to, to Fight Island and then, and then not come. I mean, I guess it's in the middle of football season. Not ideal. Yeah. When you said October, the first thing I thought about was college football. So, um, but you know what? Maybe it'll be one of those bad slates. Maybe it'll be Clemson, Boston College is the eight o'clock ABC game. And I go, I can go to Abu Dhabi this week. I can do it. And I know you got to go, but have you covered the fact that Luke Rockhold, your friend, former UFC middleweight champion, is going to be making his bare knuckle boxing debut? Have you seen the videos of him punching his sauna? I have seen um, the videos. I'm excited to get on a new new Luke Rockhold train. I wouldn't call us great friends. <laughs> well, I would, I would say we've talked a couple times and that, that would say that was the extent of it. I don't think he would, if he has to say, if you have to say my name twice to Luke Rockhold, I don't think that means <laughs> we can be great friends. Well, uh, who, who, who knows you better, Hugh Jackman or Luke Rockhold? <laughs> you know? I've never been to Hugh Jackman's house. There you go. See? So that's the tiebreaker. Yeah. Hugh Jackman's never thrown a scissor kick at me and then I blocked it. 
oh man, what are you guys doing? What are you guys doing? <laughs> Chill out. There, that may that last part maybe maybe fantasy. All right. Uh, that is John Anik. Promote the pod so everybody can listen to it. I listened to it all fight week. I was excited. Well, thank you, buddy. Anakin Florian podcast doing two episodes a week. And uh, yeah, this UFC stuff really taking off. We always appreciate the support from guys like you. And I know you were uh, in a lot of respects ahead of the game. You've had an appetite for this stuff for a long time. So uh, I appreciate you more than you know, as usual. And all tell right. Pep, oh. I'm not going on Friday night. So, Okay. I said you were, I confirmed for you because I can't make it. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. Modelo knows it's not about whether you win or lose. It's about cheering louder, traveling further. It's about showing up no matter what. Because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. An ice cold reward. Rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. I know at the Open we did the football, some people were wondering if I was going to do a Grant Williams 10 minutes, but <laughs> uh, I don't have a hard 10. The weird thing now that we, we Bill and I do those Sundays that go an hour and a half, two hours, is like by Tuesday... You know, that pod comes out basically Sunday midnight, East Coast, actually later than that. And then, you know, it's just like, I don't know if there's enough NBA stuff that's happened where I, I'll have a full blown. Some Tuesdays I'll have it and some I won't. Uh, and that's why I did the Lamar thing because I think it's really important. But the Grant Williams, if you missed it, because um, he did, uh, end of the Cleveland nice. game. I can't believe that the Donovan Mitchell foul call at the end. Uh, it was It was actually on Grant. Um, and they reviewed it and, and kept the foul up. And then on the back end, I was like, oh, this is, I wonder if this is like a bit of a makeup call. Although I thought there was still more contact. Grant Williams is the free throw line, uh, a chance to make one to win the game for the Celtics who don't have Robert Williams, who don't have Horford, who don't have Tatum after playing a double overtime grinder of a game against the Knicks the night before. And Donovan Mitchell was talking to Grant because Grant talks to fucking everybody. And he was basically telling him, you're going to miss or trying to get into his head a little bit. And Grant Williams said three times that I saw on camera, I'll make both of them. I'll make both of them. I'll make, no, excuse me. I'll make them both. I'll make them both. I'll make them both. He missed the first one. Cleveland did a terrific job of shuffling things around where I think it was 40 seconds in between the first attempt and the second attempt. And then he missed the second one. And uh, then there was a moment later on where Grant was was getting into it with somebody else and was upset. And then Missoula, you could see him saying, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you. And uh, 
Now, this is a national podcast, so I don't think we were going to do guy off the bench who recently got a DMP to open the show for 10 minutes because that would just be, <laughs> that's not the target demo. Kyle knows that. Kyle would no, have just I, said, I was excited ahead, to talk. I was excited to talk to you about Grant Williams this morning when we were on the call. Oh, you were? I, I, yeah, I, I just, because listen, you know, I, <laughs> I'm happy for him. He's kind of made a pretty awesome career out of, you know, what was he, a mid-first round pick, right? Out of 10 out of Tennessee, tough yeah, guy. Yeah, he was a good player I, I, I don't want, I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to like put down guys like that, but man, he talks a lot. And I think even on the broadcast, Scal was like, oh yeah, he'll make the first one. Oops, <laughs> I guess he didn't. Uh, I don't know. It was funny to see. Like, you don't want to see guys like fail miserably like that, but I don't know. I think it was funny because it was Grant. And he talks so much shit. It was like, hey dude, maybe, maybe chill out every once in a while. Yeah, I, I just think he's, I, I think he's kind of a tough guy. Like when you watch him over the course of a game, you're like, man, fucking bug some people uh all right let's do life advice kyle how are you feeling a oh, big tired guy over here went to um <laughs> went to the mismatch show yesterday um bunch of good guests uh drank a little bit afterwards and now it's seven o'clock <laughs> and here we go <laughs> <laughs> how late did you guys go uh, we actually didn't, we didn't go too late. It just, um, actually we may have, I don't know. I don't think it was like, it was like 11. It wasn't bad at all, but I, I usually, I'm a, I'm like a day, I'm like a day afternoon drinker guy. So whenever, yeah. whenever I'm out late, I, I feel it, especially when I work the next day, which is kind of funny to say. It's like, oh, I had drinks yesterday. I was out to like 11, super late, but it's just because, uh, of the juxtaposition of where I usually am doing my drink. Yeah. Your window, your window's early. You're a one o'clock kickoff guy. You're not the Sunday night game. Mm. Yeah. You know? It's like, yeah. it's like a West coast team coming East. Wait, who yeah. wait, who went out last night? With KOC? Was he out? Was um KOC out? disappeared. I think I think KOC was there with maybe his mom or somebody from his family. Um, but it was just Verno who like lost all of his affects in an Uber and uh he still he still took the walk with us to to a bar and then as soon as we got out there, he was like, Ah, I'd lost everything. I forgot. Um and they just didn't let him in. He's just got that young face. So it's just me and Jim Cunningham, just you know, as always, just being degenerates. Wait, so Verno couldn't get in because he didn't have ID? Yeah, I think he. I think he lost more than his ID, but yeah, I think he lost his like hotel room key as well. Like he just he, the guy lost everything. Um, so, uh, but he he was still like, yeah, let's go. You guys go to a bar. Let's go. Let's see. Um, and then it was just like he is. Yeah, yeah he is the epitome of forty fourteen for his face. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> the way that was he probably dresses. the only thing. I was yeah. trying to pull up his Instagram, and the 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 the, uh, the bouncer outside was like a kid, and he was like, "No, nah, man, there's no way." Um, I was like, look, How far he's a, were he's you a guy. Listen to his voice. Um, I was gonna say you couldn't just go back to the home base. I, you know what? I really don't like. Uh, Jim suggested that, and I was like, you know, I don't think we should go there tonight. <laughs> I just, I just had a bad feeling. I was like, you know what? It's always at night. I come in the next day, and you're like, oh, you hear that guy got stabbed last night or something? And it's like, ah, I just try to stay out of frolic room at night. It's just a different sort of vibe, different crowd. So I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to do that to anybody. I usually go at night. That's why we don't run into each other. Yeah, <laughs> just to yeah, keep. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> to keep Verno's name. In the clear here, this was just a simple lost the wallet situation. It was not a yeah left cards. it in an Uber, right? It wasn't debit cards open at four different places, and no. you know I got to go back and get them all the next day or cancel them or whatever. All right, okay, no. all right. Just want to clear his name here a little bit. Uh, okay, all right. Here we go. Pyramid scheme. Hi guys, would you like to get rich? Would you like to be an independent business operator? If your answer is yes, please contact my brother-in-law. He has an incredible opportunity to share with you. My wife's brother, 
I don't know if he uses the right name. I imagine he changed the name here, so uh, it's a pretty straightforward name. My wife's brother, George, is great. Always down, enthusiastic, makes great money selling roofs and solar. Good dad to his kids and good uncle to ours. Hot tub in the backyard, squat rack in his garage. You know this guy, living the American dream of consumerism, paycheck to paycheck while making $250,000. All right. But he's a little too influenceable. He's never seen an anti-vax Instagram video he didn't find convincing. He bought tactical pants because all his boys at work did. He preaches on the importance of pH balanced water. <laughs> I just picture him buying, he buys those like glasses that the Marines. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> for driving about? at night. <laughs> yeah. Two payments in 1999. Like, I need these. Oh, my God. I'll be living without them. Call now. Get yeah. Second one free. <laughs> it's an HD, though. It's an HD. You don't. I love I when the they flip those better. down. <laughs> When you yeah. when you see the ad, like as if the rest of us are walking around this earth blind. It's like <laughs> you can see other like colors that don't exist to other normal people. Right. I never felt my eyes were in SD. I just never, <laughs> I never Pretty felt vivid. that way. Would I know? Would I know any better? You know? Okay. So um, he said now after the pH balance line, he's now selling Amway. Last month, George's mentor picked him up in the parking lot of his local Fry's food stores. And now George is recruiting people at the library at his church. And yes, in the grocery store parking lot. The mentor comes over once a week to crunch family budget numbers for an hour. They talk about shitty inspirational business self-help books like you'd see 15 years of LaGuardia, like Who Moved My Cheese? <laughs> this is a really, really well-written email. I hope that's not his real name. George and his wife now get a babysitter once a week to attend seminars at like a Scottsdale Marriott suite. All right, so yes, I my my guess is that this is all made up because Scottsdale Marriott suites is where I believe this kind of business is done for Chili's. Aldo lip in a suit and nice dress for what seems like a prom for idiots to cheer for some high energy speaker with crest white strips teeth telling them how to achieve $100,000 of passive income. I just need to ask the room here, Whenever I see one of these videos about somebody doing the side hustle, I first of all, never believe it. Like I saw a guy the other day being like, yeah, I'm on this yacht. And the guy was like interviewing him. And he goes, how much money do you make a year? It's like 450,000. He's like, let's run through your expenses. As a boat owner, he missed out on a bunch of the expenses that come with the boat. He made it sound so cut and dry. And he was like, oh, it's just this, it's this for the slip. And this is my payment a month. And I'm clearing, you know, I'm clearing 50, 60 K a month on this alone. And I was like, no, you're not, you're not. So I was like, if this video is a lie, if this video is a lie, could it be that everybody else is telling me to sell the latest craze on TikTok? Let's say the bodysuit that everybody's wearing. Uh, if I sign up as an Amazon seller, can I just have all this passive income by doing nothing? The ascent, the goal of it seems to be that you can find something popular and then just reroute it by one click on Amazon and then all of a sudden everybody's making money. It can't possibly be this easy. Also, why right? are you sharing it? Like, wouldn't you want to just hoard that to yourself? Like, why are you telling other people how to make free, easy money? Because you got to sign people up, right? I mean, that's what it is. I mean, it's literally I don't even a, know a pyramid that, scheme. Right. I don't even know if that would... Now, granted, I believe almost nothing anymore. But when I saw the guy doing his yacht breakdown of expenses versus it, revenue... It was so fucking funny because I'm like, yeah, that's not true. But there are corners of like TikTok and Instagram. The worst, I think, is like the grind bro one where it's like if you haven't made 10K, worked out four times, had chicken and rice by 5 a.m., then you're a fuck up and like you need to figure <laughs> this shit out. And you're like, man, I saw this one the other day that this guy, this guy was like, that was so this good. guy was like, I, it's no, this guy, he's, you know, of course they're like, no, no offense, Ryan, but they're just, they're usually like, 
pretty jacked. Like they're kind of that's older. fine. No, I know exactly what you're saying, and, and I agree with you. You know, so go they've ahead. probably got some tattoos, and he's like, I I split my day. I have three days in one day. So he's like, I, I split my day. <laughs> it's like the first the first six hours of my day is one day. The next six hours is my. So he's like, well, you're working seven days. I've a week. seen I'm this. Working, I'm working twenty one days a week, and you're like, dude. You didn't reinvent time, okay? Like <laughs> it just—I it's the worst section. I feel like of social media is the grind bros section. Yeah, because then there's other ones that I think are the less jacked version of that, where they're like, "Well, what I think you need to be doing is thinking about solar slash into this passive whatever." And then I don't even know if they're selling anything, but it's always the same dude who isn't the same dude saying the same shit. And they're talking a little above our heads with some of these economic terms. So they seem more impressive. There's like a filter. There's some metal music in the background. Usually. Yeah. It's like some podcast studio. It's always a fucking guy I've never, ever seen before. And (laughs) I'm like, yeah, I don't. I don't know if this, but you don't want to be dismissive of everything, right? No. Like some of these guys are out here doing it, but like, you know, there's this other jacked guy who's very convincing in all of his videos. And, you know, by halfway through the video, every time when he's running and all these numbers are popping up in a graphic, he's lost me. I'm like, I don't, I don't know if all of this checks out. I just don't know. I don't know that it does. All right. Moving back on to what we were doing here. It was kind of like the Chipotle hack. We're like, you know, if you go to Chipotle and you order two tortillas, but then you actually do that and you're just like, yeah, I don't think that's going to get you a boat, man. That might save you on a burrito, but I I don't think 10xing this Chipotle order is the solution to your retirement fund. All right, back to the email. Um, my wife and I gave him some soft advice. I don't know, George. It seems like a pyramid scheme. His reply, quote, it might be, but somebody's making money. Might as well be me. George <laughs> is always making moves. Do I intervene more? Man to man. He listens to me, respects me, maybe. If it was a side casual thing, I'd say whatever. But he dove in like Greg Laganis off a three-meter springboard. <laughs> Terrific writer. Last night might have pushed me over the edge. I found out he's selling to his parents, who are my wife's parents as well. Of course, uh, they basically live on Social Security. Last year, my wife's mom could only afford a hearing aid she needed because my wife contributed $1,000, which she was glad she could do, and I fully supported. Although, that'd be a weird conversation. would be like, does your mom really need to hear? <laughs> <laughs> So congrats for being supportive. My mother-in-law does not need a monthly subscription for crappy hand lotions and nonsense supplements. Does he really want to be the guy who milks his easy-believing older mother? Apparently he does. Uh, Maybe he doesn't care. I don't want him to be that guy. Let me say this clearly. George is a great guy, all caps. He's a good brother to my wife. He's always been welcome to me. And I know as the in-law, I got to tread carefully and pick my spots. But this is troubling. I think he's got a bomb on his own with this one. And history tells us he's just going to figure out the next thing that he thinks is the fix here. I don't want to sound cold here, but if his parents who are your in-laws are going to buy too much hand lotion they don't need, that's kind of their transaction. And it would have to be a very rare level of comfort for you as the in-law to be able to tell them how this should should be done. Now, he's going to pitch you, right? So what you could do is when he pitches you is you could give him a speech that's not really about you. You're going to say, "Hey, George, this is a hard this is the hardest fucking no ever. The hardest <laughs> no ever. I have a story. Uh I will share. Um a buddy may or may not have got caught up in a cult um you know, years ago and 
he started reaching out to Dan. This is a guy that we loved hanging out with. This is a guy that was was one of the I for a stretch there, he kind of was a core guy. Um he wasn't a he wasn't a UVM buddy. So it was like a different of my many Venn diagrams of friendship, uh, which there are a lot of weird ones in there. Um, he was he was a guy I really liked. And, you know, whatever. You grow apart, you don't check in. No one works in the relationship, not that big of a deal. And then you get an update from somebody else and you're like, hey, did you hear about uh, so-and-so? And I was like, no, what's up? And they're like, kind of in a cult. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. And I was like, how did you know? It's like, well, we had heard and we kind of knew. And then my friend who told me this was like, he came over to recruit me. <laughs> okay, now the friend that he went over to recruit is the last fucking guy you would go to recruit. All right. I might be second to last pick. This guy's the last pick. Goes to his house. Hadn't talked to him in a while. Sits down. Starts getting the spiel. And my buddy goes, all right, get up and get the fuck out of here. Get up. Get out of here. Get out right out of the house. I'm not even going to be nice about it. And the guy's like, no, man. He's like, you're, you're, you're reading this wrong. You don't understand. He goes, you don't even know the names of any of my fucking kids, man. <laughs> I got a bunch of them. You don't know one of their fucking names. And now you think I'm going to give you money or like, do something with you, like get out of here. And it was a very quick conversation and it was right to the point. I love that kind of stuff. I'm not going to be nice. I'm not going to worry about you because you don't care about my fucking feelings. So what you could do, it's not exactly the same thing. You don't have to be that harsh because it's not a cult, it's some lotion. I would. All the things you wish you could say to him that you know you kind of can't with your designation in the family tree. When he pitches you, you could be so like nasty about it that you'd hope some of that would leak into his thoughts about the other people that he's trying to influence in the family where you'd be like look i know what this deal is and maybe you are going to make some money off this thing and that's fine i'm a no i will always be a no so in your little book of contacts write down all caps huge with an exclamation no in a 1.7 millimeter ballpoint all right not the thin one i want bold i don't really those pens don't really work for me but anyway and you you could perhaps get through them a little bit, but I just don't understand how if the if their wife, who is the sister, isn't going to intervene, it's likely not your role. Kyle? Yeah, I, I think if, if unless she's got the the problem with the you know the parents spending their money, and that's almost something she could talk to them about, be like, guys, what are you doing here? But it, that's probably not your role. I can see how it bother back door if kill the sales. Yeah, I like that cop. <laughs> yeah, I don't unless unless she's that banged up about it. I don't think you should do anything about it. And anyone that I've ever known who's done this thing, it's always just been a face. It's always, I mean, even back in high school when it was like cut code, you want to buy some knives and sell them for a profit. The answer was no. I mean, most people I think could just see. Did you this sell them? Can't. No, no, no. I was I was approached. I was I, there was no way I was going to be door to door. Uh, fucking cutlery salesman. That just sounded crazy at, at 17. There was no way. Um, but I, I mean, everybody that I've ever done, that I've ever known that's done this, it's been a phase. It wasn't like, wasn't like this is what they, they found their calling and it's, and it's, you know, door to door family web of friends pushing fucking products. Um, it's always been a phase. So this, it will be a phase for him. Uh, you know, it, it sounds like he's not ruining anything other than just being annoying. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't think it's the end of the world. I can see why you're bent out of shape about your in-laws, you know, spending money on some on some dumb shit. But um, this is this is just going to be a phase unless unless he's a serial <laughs> pyramid scheme guy. It'll just sounds be like he is a lesson <laughs> that maybe he'll learn. Well, I don't know. It sounds I don't know. It sounds like the only thing that he's been in that that does that that's this. Like he's he's definitely on like fads or trends for sure. 
like with the with the tactical pants and the other shit. But you know, this is the it's like it's not like he's been uh it's like he's moving from different pyramid scheme to pyramid scheme. I think he's gonna end up being like, Oh shit, I've got all this stuff and and I can't, you know. I don't think I want to go back to the uh, back to the uh, Costco parking lot again today. It's just that it's not working out. I think it won't be long before he's like done with this. <laughs> no, I think I think what you said, Ryan, is right. Like, you know, you probably have to just like almost scare him by your by your reaction into how he should treat you know the people in in your close circle. I mean, the only thing is like, you know, can you? try to convince your wife that, hey, listen, like we paid for these glasses. We pay your parents aren't, you know, rolling in cash or hearing aids. Sorry. We, you're, you're I don't not, know if they can like, see. That was <laughs> don't know if they can see. Don't know if they hear. Who knows? It's just definitely it's at night they can. Can you be like, hey, listen, if, if they if they're doing this thing with your brother, like we're going to be this is going to come out of our pocket. So this isn't we're not just like innocent bystanders here. We're going to probably have to front the bill for something down the line when this inevitably doesn't work out. And maybe you can change your mind. And if you can't, then, you know, you're kind of probably shit out of luck. And I'm, I'm with you guys. Like, I don't think you could just it's not your place as like the as the as the in-law as the son-in-law to like you know try to tell them what to do but man i don't know i it's a tough situation because you know th- those kind of people it, it would be so much easier if he wasn't a nice guy too you know like it just sucks that he's a nice guy um if, like if he was an asshole or if he was just like an idiot like it'd probably be easier to just tell him off but i think you kind of got to sit this one out and you know hopefully it doesn't you know knock you and impact you down the line yeah hopefully he does pitch you just say hey you really want to be this guy man you want to really be doing this you want to be doing it to your friends. You want to be doing it to your family. So it's not specific to the transaction with the mom, your mother-in-law. It can maybe plant that seed. But I think I think Saruti's right here. It's just going to be the next thing. It's just going yeah, to be the maybe next the thing. next thing isn't so annoying and in your face. You know, the next thing maybe might just, just nice. be uh, yeah. a like boots or something, a special whatever. Like I don't know. It might just be something that he likes and not something he's got to push on you. The, the consumerism friend, like I, I've got a couple friends, like who are you know they just. They just have to buy the newest thing. I think you know, if something comes out, they got to buy it in every color. You know, they're constantly talking about upgrading this, upgrading that. And that's just a shitty life to, I, I just don't care about stuff like that. Like, it's just a shitty life to try to, it's like the keeping up with the Joneses thing, right? Like, it's just annoying. Like, at some point, like, what are you even doing? You're just spending money that is meaningless um, to you. But I don't know. It sounds like this guy, like, it sounds like there's probably gonna be more problems in the future with him and stuff like this, especially if it's successful. Like, if, he's, if this actually works, and he starts making some money. I don't know. Like, I feel like this is a, this is like a gateway drug. I can tell you as somebody who really likes something and was like, oh, I'm going to get a couple more of these in a different color. That's always the worst call ever. It always is the worst call. Because then you're like, wait, I'm going to wear the same thing, but just a different color. Back-to-back days. Now, granted, I dress like an asshole now because I don't really leave the house. I don't really do a ton. Um, and at ESPN, you know, you were on TV five days a week. Like, you had to add to the wardrobe. You had to have some Etons. You had to have some Robert Talbots. You had to have... You know, there was a nice little Versace vintage thing that I found that was a little tight, not going to lie, but I loved it when I'd roll up the sleeves. felt great. Just a great material. And whenever I would go like, oh, I really like this shirt or this slack, you know, oh, there were some John Elliott shorts where I was like, I think I'll get a few of these in multiple colors. But then you kind of just go back to the color you like the most. Yep. And those other two buddies are just hanging out going, you never pick us. You never pick us. So just a little financial advice on top of everything else. Don't be the multi same thing. Uh, in a bunch of different colors because you're going to end up just wearing the one that you like the most all the time. All right, let's do two just because the way the pod broke down today. Uh, This one's a pretty straightforward HOA deal. So, you know how we feel about HOAs. But I just think this guy needs needs a little, little guidance here. All right, 30, just bought a condo in Ryan's old stomping grounds in the Hartford area. Nice. 
Hartford has it. Hartford has it. New England's rising little star. Okay. With owning a condo, I'm dealing with HOA and management companies for the first time. It's going to suck. That's my advice. Long story short, I bought this condo in August. I noticed that improvements were handed were handled by the associate management company on the exterior of the condos uh, that were not completed in my condo, but were, all caps, completed almost every other condo in my section. I'm talking about sanding and painting of the basement bulkhead, new front doors, new front step, and back step rails. So that's a lot of stuff. Uh, I reached out to the head of management company and the guy on the board of directors for my community. I got the runaround responses and that they will get to it in the spring once the weather improves um, they also raised the HOA fee another $50 this year. How do I handle this in terms of not being a dick, but getting the same improvements done in the new condo, uh, that the other condos in the community already have, or do I spite them and do this shit myself? All right. Well, look, there's a couple of reasons why the stuff may not be upgraded on your place. One could just be, that's the order of the way it was done and they didn't get to yours. It also could have been that because yours was listed, they knew they could get away with not doing that one immediately because they were like, all right, well, if they're selling it, was it empty at any point? And even if it was being sold, the person that was in there was not going to be as much of a priority because they knew that person was leaving. So it may not be anything personal whatsoever. As far as the $50 fee, welcome to fees. Uh, they're going <laughs> to raise everything. them. Yeah. They're going to raise them. But again, <laughs> Uh, you're not going to hear this a lot from me to be fair to the HOA raising their fees. Everybody else is raising their fee. No, but everybody's raising their fees on other things. Like if you have stuff where it's like, Hey, the lawn guy cost this and now it's this. And like, there was also a stretch where people were kind of afraid to for a long time. And I think you're actually starting to see that. I'm just noticing it on some day-to-day stuff where I'm like, wait, why is this more expensive now? It's like, well, we Air haven't cuts. really raised haircut yeah, we hadn't- up 10 bucks. We haven't raised the price in three years and, you know, now it was like time that we had to do it. So that $50 bump, I don't think it's going to an HOA private party. I think it's likely to offset the costs that they're feeling because everybody's been raising. I just feel, again, this is observational. I haven't read a study on it. There's not a paper from Yale. It just feels like in my day to day, I was like, oh, wait, this seems to be kind of like more expensive. And I'm not just talking straight eggs and poultry uh, prices, which is a different category altogether. So. If you want it done, being the new guy and and being a dick about it immediately is probably not going to put you at the top of their list. All right. I know it's your first house. I believe it'll probably if you're 30 and it's a condo, it's probably your first house. When you get your first house, you do a lot of stuff. Like I bought a restoration hardware fire pit. It was unbelievable the one time I used it. And then it just sat out back and it was so fucking heavy and you know, when I sold it, they were like, are you taking that with you? I was like, no, it's, you know, it's part of the, it's just, you know, it's part of it. It's like, no, it looks awesome in the restoration hardware catalog at the house in Malibu. It doesn't look as nice with a shared center backyard in West Hartford. Doesn't look as nice. I tried. So I was buying like, oh, I'm going to get an all purpose couch. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do, you're going to want to do all these little things that are all a waste of money, um, which is another piece of advice altogether. Uh, because it's just the way it is, right? And I get it. But for you, you moved into this place. You see everybody else with their nice front doors, you know, bulkhead. Don't worry about it right now. I get your concern with it. But going in there guns blazing, right? When everybody yells at these people all the time already, I, I it's going to get done. It likely has to get done. You're going to get the runaround because it's a bunch of people in office who actually don't know the schedule, who don't check with each other. So I would I would soft pedal this one a little bit. I just would. Because being a dick first day, new guy, because that's what I did. I was a dick immediately at the HOA that I dealt with. And I was in the crosshairs. 
the rest of the time that I was there. Um, I mean, they had a couple fucking guys that had never held paintbrushes before come to do my pillars. And not only did they do a shitty job and get paint all over the place, didn't even put a tarp down. They like, I don't know what they did. They damaged, they somehow damaged the wood. It was like somebody took the end of a spoon and just stuck it into the wood finishing on these pillars at the front. And again, pillars, it was a $400,000 condo. So it's not exactly like it was fucking some Alabama fraternity house. Um, they like trashed it and I just went nuts. And guess, guess who never got his way? Me. That's why I also never listened to him all the time. Sarah Walsh, my neighbor at the same place, the HOHR to come after her. She put in a brick patio because she actually had like a nice corner unit. She wanted to be outside and have like people over and do social things, which was weird to me, but she, that's what she did. The HOA tried to fine her for damaging the grass. <laughs> and she somehow, I don't know how she knew how to do this. What an adult. She took pictures of all of the work being done. Cause it might've been that she was sending it to her husband who was away playing baseball. That might've been it. So it was like, Hey, they, the Bobcat pulled away the topsoil. Okay. Now they're laying the brick. Okay. Now here's this. And now it's all this stuff. They said that she went over the property line, that she damaged the area and they tried to find her like $1,500. And then she sent him the pictures was like actually wrong, wrong. And then wrong again. And then guess who just dropped it? That's how fucked up our place was. They just, they like try to shake her down for 1500 bucks. She had the pictures that would prove it in court and they just, the complaint went away. So you're not there yet, buddy. I'm just telling you, going in guns blazing isn't going to get your front door fixed or exchanged anytime sooner. And I know the $50 fee pisses you off. You're budgeting for all this. If you see it, welcome to HOAs. Yeah, I've got less of advice and more questions. The only other time I've learned about HOAs was like a while ago when we first brought it up. I thought I thought you were usually fighting the HOA and like you you said people are always screaming at them all the time i guess that's just depending on the kind of person who's living within one of these hoa communities but i thought it was not, always yeah like, they're not great though i mean like there's a lot of stuff like the first thing they try to do to me i was like what are you what do you actually think you're doing here like this doesn't make any sense and i'd already had you know stuff that had happened there was <laughs> again you know when you're broke you have these issues more often i wasn't broke in the west hartford one but the boston condo where they approved fucking everybody back then um they didn't factor in some payment and I didn't even realize I wasn't making this payment. And then I get a letter to be sued and the person that was in charge of collecting the payment never sent me anything and then waited until like the day it became eligible for me to be sued, which I actually never was sued, but it was like a warning. And it was her boyfriend that was the lawyer that was filing the thing and then billing the hours. So I was like, this is so <laughs> fucked. All right. Like you so guys waited. Evil. They waited 366 days to get me to that window. And they were like, oh, by the way, this has never been paid. I'm like, well, I never, what do you mean that's never been paid? I thought it was part of the overall payment. Again, it was my first time doing it. I didn't do a great job looking through all of the lines. You know, again, that part's totally on me. But then I was like, so wait, you waited three or you waited until a year and a day to get me into this window where then it was like you had all the arguments on your side and the person that's getting the billable hours is your boyfriend. Like this, that's, that's like evil. nobody else that seems evil. Nobody else thinks this is a bit sketchy. And then of course their argument is you didn't pay the bill and it's kind of tough to counter that. You know, it's like, all right, I didn't, but I also, I didn't, I didn't willfully go, Hey, I'm just not paying you guys for a year. I'm like, this is the first I'm hearing of it. I'm like, you wouldn't have thought, Hey, this person moved into this new place and he's been there three months and hasn't paid. Maybe he doesn't know. Maybe we can be nice and give him a heads up. And they did the opposite because they knew what they were doing. So anyway, uh, I didn't want to give you a full HOA history. The last line that I just read again that I think is really important. He said, quote, do I or do I spite them and do the shit myself? 
If you do it yourself, they're probably going to find you. <laughs> All right. So you, you said it right that it's going to get done. Like it has to get, they're not just going to leave your door and all your stuff because it's going to look shitty. So there, it's going to get done. So I, you just got to be patient. I don't think that, I don't, you know, I know that sucks for now because you, you, you could kill them with kindness. Like, you could show up on site and be like, Hey, it's my first time homeowner. Bring a fucking bag of cookies. Yeah. You know, can I help you know? out? What can I, you know, you need any help? Yeah. You don't want to, you know, well, I don't know if you want to start joining meetings, but. No, because I had said one point, I was like, I'll paint the outside when I was in West Hartford. I was like, you have hats. These like, guys know how to paint. And of course, at that point, you know, it was just war. And they're like, oh, you know how to paint? I was like, yeah, actually, I do. I was like, I can tell if you can paint or not within two seconds of the way you hold a brush. It's like dribbling a fucking basketball. They're like, well, actually, we own the outside, so you can't paint it. I was like, well, how about I give you an estimate, and then you can just pay me to do the work that somebody else is incapable of doing. And then they're like, we don't, we don't think that makes a lot of sense or whatever. I was like, I'm not trying to screw you. I'll give you a decent hourly, 35 bucks an hour. Let's go. So um, is, is it Kyle's like a fucking club? Is it like a club? <laughs> like, I know it's not, I'm just, I don't know. Sounds like the mafia. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just like, is it like, is it a few people uh, that work there? Is it like fucking 20 people that no, work there? No, it's a management company. Office? Is oh, it just so a like, fucking building on, on the site somewhere there? It's just like, there's a, an apartment manager in there and they hire out shit like, is it uh, do, do the people in the community member? Is it like fucking Elks Club on once a month? And they're no. like, I've got a problem with this. Is it like a town meeting? Like, do you want more examples or an answer? Sorry, <laughs> I get this once every year and a half. I get I get my questions about an HOA in, and I'm just fascinated. It's just a management company. It's just a management company who then manages the property. And when there's a million tenants, or you know, a hundred or whatever for that building that's managed by this company. And then they assess how much it costs to keep the building running, all the common areas and all that kind of stuff. And then there's also reserves, which is its own fascinating fucking thing. When I was buying the first place, they were like, oh, and the reserves are amazing. And then as soon as I moved in, they redid the roof and they were like, we don't want to tap into the reserves. So this is, <laughs> we're going to do it this way where all of you owe us more money. And I was like, I just... The whole reason the real estate agent was telling me this was such a good buy is that they had such a high reserve, all this extra cash for any major product or project. And then as soon as I moved in, they were like, yeah, we don't want to use those. I was like, fucking Christ. So um, that's really all it is. It's not some group of people that just decide to be in charge. It's <laughs> it's essentially a property management company that sets all of these prices. They figure out what operating costs are. They're gonna, it's gonna charge more. It's not gonna be dollar for dollar because they want to make sure there's something a little bit left over. But they, it, this is an un, this relationship can never be good. It can never be good. It is, it's the CBA with players and owners. It's, it's high school kids and a principal. It's impossible because everyone who has the building feels like I actually own the building. You just manage the, the properties and you're a constant pain in my ass and things don't go my way. And again, if you work on the HOA side, it's like, cool, we got 20 complaints today. Like what's <laughs> wrong with these people? So that's it. It's, it'll never be fixed. All okay. Right. I think uh, what threw me off was the association. It sounds like a, a more important thing. And it's just a fucking, it's just like a, a landlord management company, not landlord, but yeah. Yeah. It's not a landlord. I mean, they don't own it, which right. is probably, I think another reason why the owners of the homes hate the management people <laughs> right you know so uh, whatever whatever um maybe somebody has a good one out there that actually would be fascinating hey i'm from, I'm from chicago our hoa is great love hanging out but again when i say it that way i get why kyle's confused like it, it, it wouldn't it's not some social club 
Well, so that, but to, to, to that point though, so my wife's parents, they're in like a neighborhood, a, res- a residential neighborhood. So it's just like houses, like single family houses. And they are, it's part of an HOA. It's that they don't get their roads plowed. They have to do all the stuff themselves. And it's like a committee, like the people that live in this are part of the committee and they like vote on shit. They vote on like whether or not they need to cut trees down or that they need to repave the road, which is long, by the way. And they're all like ridiculously expensive projects. And every time something happens, it sounds like an absolutely miserable experience. But I don't think it's like some outside group that's sort of trying right. to pull you know one over on each other. So that's, there are different ones. Yeah. That's like a neighborhood authority or something. It sounds yeah. like, it sounds awful. No, Suri, that's actually a very good point um, because... The way I'm describing it, I'm talking about the management side of it a little bit and what you would say to the true definition of it is the homeowners association where it's like, well, no, the people that are owning the homes are part of the homeowners association. I'm I'm being a little too liberal in moving on from the the people that actually manage it because you're right. To that example, they don't have an outside group, but then they have to get together and meet with somebody. I'm technically in a two unit building now where we had to have some sort of chartered, recognized HOA or whatever. It's me and one other person. And once a year, when we get along great, and it's like, do you want to hang out? We don't even do that. We don't, we don't, we're just texting. We ask an insurance question. And then I'm like, whatever, I don't care. Whatever works for you guys, I'm fine. Um, The previous place in Manhattan Beach, there was five of us. And the one guy got so excited to have these meetings that I stopped going to them because I was like, these are going, it was like two and a half hours. All Gary's five got too many ideas. There. Yeah. You guys, yeah. guys want to get together? Yeah. It was like a big siding. thing. And then as soon as they stopped showing up, uh, cause I was renting out that unit, they passed a, a bill, a motion where nothing could be rented for less than a year. So I was like, so you guys, basically I, I didn't show up. Maybe there's a lesson in why you should show up. Uh, you passed the thing that directly hurts me. And they were like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right, well, if any of you guys ever have an issue where you have to rent your place out for less than a year because something changes with a family dynamic and you don't want to miss out on rent for, you know, you're going to be gone for six months or whatever. Like, okay, cool. Great job. You right. thought about one person and didn't think about any of the other long-term possibilities of like having a little more flexibility with it. And by the way, you're just going to go ahead and rent it out anyway. You only did it because I'm the first person in this new unit to have renters. God, I can't imagine anyone is fucking listening to this anymore. So <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, this is my fault. No, it, just it, me it's not actually, stuff. That's actually all. it's my fault because I was not casting a wide enough net on what all the possibilities are of an HOA um, other than I would tell you, most people I think listening to this understand that, yeah, when you're in an apartment building, but you own the condo, like it's, it's an apartment building, but people own them and live there. It's a little different. Um, any condo type thing where it's like, you feel like it's sort of a real house, but it's cause it's not an apartment, but it's not a detached unit or whatever. And then, yeah, I mean, I've actually, now that I think about it, I've never owned anything that's just a single family. Yeah, that's true. I've never owned a standalone single family. So. As yeah. someone who does, sometimes there are a lot of times where I think like, would it just be easier to have an HOA pay like the 300, 400, whatever bucks a month, have my, have my lawn mowed, have my stuff painted so I don't have to do any of this shit myself because it is pretty fucking annoying. All the stuff that happens around a house that you don't think about that you have to do uh, as a homeowner who doesn't have like, you know, anybody like a, a contractor helping you. I mean, I have my, my dad is basically like Mr. Fix It. Ron, you know, obviously him. And, yeah, he fixed uh, a couple things in my so, place. So like that's super helpful. But HOA didn't. It's not, uh, it's not the best when it's like, yeah, I got to do this thing again. You know, I got to, I got to trim the hedges again. Like I don't even have any trimmers. Plus you're ducking your ordinary neighbor out there too. You got to find the right time That's of day to do true. it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I usually do it like in the evening when he's like, yeah, who knows? I got to make sure it's the driveway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> you should just get like a mega t-shirt. Not a joke. I do that. I literally just like, is this car in the driveway? All right, I can go outside now. No, but I think the next time you do any yard work, you just put on something like anthrax t-shirt, cut the sleeves off, put on a wig and just fucking crank it. Not even earbuds, just loud Dwight Howard outdoor Bluetooth music and, you know, give him. He'd find a, a way to call the cops on me. So, oh, he would call the cops. I thought he just yep. sucked. Now he I called the cops on us once because uh, our dogs were barking inside when we weren't home. Um, <laughs> so you got cops knocking on your door. And nobody's home. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Oh and then, of course, God. like the cops are knocking and like they're knocking on the door. Of course, my dogs are going to fucking bark. They're, there's like random stranger outside knocking on the door. But yeah, call the cops. We we're out to dinner. I was actually out to dinner with Smallman. Uh, got, a, got a call from the Jacksonbury Police Department. And they're like, hey, I uh, got a complaint about dogs barking. Are you home? And I'm like, nope, not home. Went home. Everything was what fine. do you what do you get know. like a warning? It's like if you we get two more of these calls, we're gonna have to. I don't do think something. Anything, yeah, like, I, I think I think technically fuck? the police have to do something, but I don't think there's anything that you could actually do to me, like a, a noise complaint. I don't know. Right. What is that? Where does that go? There's a lesson in here: is that almost it's a lot, a lot of like a lot of things in life. No matter what system you're a part of, you're gonna find problems with it. <laughs> Correct. But at least when they're your problems as a single family homeowner. You're like, ultimately, this is all on me. It's all on me. Like, granted, your neighbor sucks, okay? But the reason so many of us hate HOAs is that it's like, well, wait, I get to blame somebody else for something else that's not going on? And that's that's kind of what we do here. If somebody's going to look at this pod and go, wait, they went 41 minutes on life <laughs> advice? I can't wait. This is going to be awesome. They must have done like three. HOAs. <laughs> they must have done 20. <laughs> nope, 25 minutes. <laughs> I almost feel bad about this episode now, but you know what? <laughs> they all, they all can't be zingers. Primus. Thanks to Kyle. Thanks to Steve. Primus Solo Podcast. Bring your Spotify. Spotify.